Are we broadcasting? Hello. Hello. Hello and welcome to episode 20. Big 2 Mm-hmm. Double double digits. Double double digits. A fine fine, a chat between myself, Demo, and someone who can take the zing right out of your smoothie, Mark. <laughs> a chat around the subjects of health, wealth, well-being, fitness, sport, conspiracy, and how not to get mugged off when buying a meal deal. We're all work in progress, and this podcast is no exception. In short, it's a poke at our perfectly imperfect lives, and if we can make just one person feel like they're not alone in all this madness, then our work here is done. Coming up. Warm up and stretch. We're picking up a couple of bookmarks from the last couple of episodes. In work life ballet, we'll be chatting to physiotherapist Brian McCullough. Yeah. Um, about pain as we start to explore the idea of listening, understanding, and caring for our bodies. And we recorded that this week. Yeah. And really enjoyed it. Yeah, Great guy. Uh, and in Drop It Give Me 20, we've got a couple of items around steps and the one mile run. How are you? Well, I don't know whether I just come straight in. <laughs> Or Peter uh, yeah, he says, knowing exactly what... Yeah. No, I just, as you know, just had a catch-up in the kitchen. I've just come from A&E. So I, I don't want to make... This isn't a big... Here's 10 minutes of my life, which I could, I'm happy to share with most people, but it doesn't make great listening. Um, but you're not all right. No, I'm so far let's, from right. Yeah, so let's... Uh, so I'm currently in uh, supraventricular tachycardia. That's how I am at that. the moment. <laughs> no. I haven't got the energy to say. Why can't it again. they call it something else? S- well, they have a brief... SVT. 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 Okay. So it's yeah, it's to do with the ventricles in your heart and tachycardia is um, a consistently high heart rate, and I guess this is relevant because if we're going to be talking about knowing and understand your body Absolutely. and pain and all that, as you sort of hinted at, I didn't um, want to rub my hands with the beautiful yeah. coincidence of all this. <laughs> I really yeah. didn't. Having, I'm not an opportunist. <laughs> we're having a pain special. Of marks on his way from hospital. Yeah. But, um, I don't think about the ratings whatsoever. No. <laughs> this will draw them in. <laughs> As if there wasn't enough with a lockdown coming, we can now. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so I'll, I'll drop in one or two references. It is, um, I think it has relevancy beyond me going, woe is me, I've just been on a monitor and mm. feeling sorry mm. for myself. I think it's relevant in terms that some of the reasons why I've got this condition are linked with exercise. It's partly to do with the size of my heart, which is the size it is because of exercise and the thickness of the walls of my heart. And so ironically, the the condition I have tends to be shared between ultra runners or people who are massively obese. Both groups are making their hearts work hard for their living. So Um, a strong heart is letting you down in most respects. Exercise is good for you, but not that much. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch your heart. But I think there's probably a few things can drop in either in this episode or in others about this bit about listening. Yeah. I, I've known this is was going to happen for about the last three or four days. Mm. I was thinking back, you did a session on Thursday mm. and I said to you, I normally do the session before a client does yeah, so that I can get right. a feeling. You did it afterwards. I did it afterwards and I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I'm thinking... I was I wasn't sitting there going. I smashed yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, he's like not and I'm right thinking, there. Yeah, and I knew it wasn't right then. And because I watch, um, watch my watch, look at my watch, uh, which is a Garmin, and that might be a an interesting thing to yeah, know I the roles. So. I mean, well, the amount of stat. I mean, you just showed me. You just went the yeah. picture says a thousand yeah. words, and it was your yeah your stats from the last what day? 
Yeah, the last day. Yeah. So, um, and even which like, has proved useful in the hospital earlier. Going, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Well, both both in terms of pictorially and and when they were like I said to you just before we started, it was a situation that, that I was all monitored up to all these different machines, mm. and um, the nurse was looking at my watch and going, "It's identical to that machine," which mm. gave me a lot of. It's nice um, to know it. Yeah. 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 So I think. In fact, that might be really, uh, again, maybe a bookmark for another time, but the fact that the watch has been able to me this week to have a a sort of hold that my health was just going downhill a little bit. So when it happened like it did yesterday and today, I've been a little bit pre-warned and then was also able to say to them, this happened on this day, this happened and... Because we're talking about the idea of listening, understanding and caring. Yeah. You know, it it was aided by technology now. And on yeah. another level, it's not kind of instinctively going, oh, I don't feel well, or I feel out of breath, or yeah. my heart's racing. It's yeah. You've got something to to back that up. Yeah. And real, was, real science exactly, on your wrist. Exactly. So, I, and I, I went to the track on Tuesday. I ran 300 meters. I rarely run 300 meters because of my condition is it's not anything over 200. It's probably not good. And nearly, it, I didn't collapse, but I was really struggling. I'm looking at my watch and the heart rate was off the scale and I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's because you don't run 300, you're not used to it. Mm. And then my real part of my brain was going, you're in trouble, you yeah. can run 300 metres, it isn't a marathon. And we're going to be talking yeah. later on today about, you know, small runs. Yeah. And yeah, my body was saying to me, there is something up, keep a watch. Mm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a surprise. I'm I've in got the my system. eye on you today. I'm in the system. I'm watching you. Well, doing this lying down isn't easy. But <laughs> you, there's no coffee for you today. No. And I'm watching you like a hawk. We've lost our coffee sponsor. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes. Yes. Don't drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, Mark was the sixth most popular UK name in 1960. Nestled... I don't know what 1960's got to do with me, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you were... Born in that year. To, yeah, for example. Yeah. Well, that's high in the charts, isn't it? Hmm? That's high in the charts. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so um, if like, you were, I mean, obviously, hypothetically, uh, which two names would have been um, fifth and seventh, do you think? Which two boys' names were you nestled Matthew between? Matthew and John. <laughs> Luke and... <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know. Andrew? Stuart? No, <laughs> no it was, Stuart wasn't anywhere to be seen. Patrick? No. Jonathan? No, it could be a while, couldn't we? Yeah, it's, it's not good radio. Why do I keep thinking on the radio? <laughs> oh, could you... Uh, Greg and William. Okay. For our US listeners. Yeah. Um, Chad? No, there were 58,733 people named Mark in the US in 1960. Where was it in the charts? I forgot that. Okay. Um, there's loads more. I mean, the US seems to go further back in terms of name. When you're looking for name history and records, yeah. the US have got loads. We, we mm-hmm. kind of seems to begin in 1996 for us <laughs> for some reason, but they've got all the stats. And uh, but the only stat I could get uh, for the UK was in 2018. There were only 202 babies named Mark. 202. 202. Mark is a common male given name and is derived from the old Latin Martkos, uh, which means consecrated to the god Mars. Okay, that's better than grubby spot. spot. (laughs) Yeah, this is what I was going. Okay, Um, uh, may also mean god of war or to be warlike. I mean, that's more like it, right? You give me a lift. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, not too much of a lift, I hope. No. You're right. No, I can't Looking move. At your I watch. can't move. <laughs> yeah, I check my watch. Yeah. Um, oh, no, that's going well. That's going oh, well. good. Uh, Marcus was one of uh, three most common Roman given names. Okay. So All right. it's a shame it's you can't go back in time to sit yeah. around the campfire in Peru or wherever you were. 
Kind of, yeah, you could put have just them straight. Up, you could have stood up with your chest out going, God of War, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Soaring eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I smite you down. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, we, mm. us as an entity, uh, really went to town on Tropical Zing, last episode. Yeah, I listened back and I thought, I think I've shown a disproportionate amount of enthusiasm <laughs> for ingredients. The way I read them, it was like... Your heart rate's up. <laughs> You're getting yourself all... No, I don't think so. I think it was good. Okay. I think the two things. One was, I think, yeah, I think I did get a bit over... Like, no, but I think the disproportionate... I know what you mean about disproportionate, and I like that word, but I think that's kind of the point. It feels like a very small thing. Yeah. But it's not, actually. Because yeah. when you extrapolate that out, it's happening everywhere. And um, that, that was the second bit I was going to say. I if felt you're going like, to make a point, why not yeah. make it disproportionately, I guess, <laughs> for impact? And yeah. I think it needed it. But it, If you just sat there and read, a, read an ingredients later, yeah. like, you'd be like, you know, it's not good radio. But as I listened to myself speaking, when you did send through the edit to have a listen, mm. I was sort of thinking, what, how have we got to this position in society where, and I, I don't want to keep going back to the American elections, although going to be fantastic it's going to be an interesting next, week a couple isn't it? weeks i can't wait to, to to become involved in that well i'm not going to be i'm not going to be elected <laughs> you're running it's a bit late <laughs> i think i stand a good chance yeah <laughs> um as long as my heart can stand it um so the point i was going to make was with something so small if we allow the little things just to go well it doesn't really matter yes the snowball yeah and it's if we only pick the big things and the big things at mm. the moment are so you can big... say what you like, and it just—it's like everything with this with the lockdown. <laughs> Boris Johnson says shock that it's been leaked. There's four of them in a room, and someone's <laughs> told the national press, "Yeah, having a lockdown now to save Christmas is the most disingenuous mm, thing, isn't it?" Firstly, it's about saving lives. The idea that the reason for doing a lockdown, oh, so we can all see each other on Christmas Day, is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's about if it's the it right is. decision. If we don't see each other no, until next Easter, it doesn't matter if it's the right no, you're decision. Right. But to use that the, strap yeah. line is it's insulting to us. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's worse than tropical zing. <laughs> Beautifully segued back to my original. That was a nice that was a nice little rant. Thing. But I um well, as I think you pointed out, uh, not the last one, but a couple of that naked is owned by PepsiCo. Yeah. Um so I just did a quick search for tropical zing. Um so I found um, when they launched Tropical Zing and, and in the range of other naked mm-hmm. smoothies, uh, Charlotte Ashburner, se- senior marketing manager at PepsiCo, said, research shows that consumers are actively seeking out innovative new smoothie flavors and 50% of juice consumers are looking for new products to enjoy. We created the Naked Zing range with these consumers in mind. That's nice. That's in mind, so they're they? after new juices, what, like not apple? Well... Yeah, well, well, there you go. And everyone's just jumped on this and sent literally every kind of publication, food, drink publication, just taken this and not even, no comment. That's what they all do, just put it out there and don't have an opinion on it. They don't even go, well, we tried it and it's got none of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, They made these juices with us uh, consumers in mind to offer a bold, invigorating take on the breakfast smoothie. So they're trying to, I guess, own, like start any, to the day. Yeah, or just own, own breakfast. Yeah. Uh, with Naked Zing, drinkers can start their day with an awakening, colourful smoothie packed with delicious fruits and a hit of zesty citrus. Was it 0.3% of zesty yeah. freshness? I mean, it's, yeah, marketing. He's a good marketing manager. Yeah, not knocking her there. But um, she'll move on. A lot to get through. Um, in this, I've uh, got no apologies. You got any apologies? Never. So we talked about um, pain. We have a nice chat with Brian coming yeah. up. 
um, it was really enjoyable. You know, when you sometimes you just take to someone in those first ten seconds, yeah. just really did. I thought, yeah, yeah, definitely going to do more more work with him. Yeah, definitely. So um, here comes a chat with Brian. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Our paths crossed, I think, over coffee. I mean, coffee is quite a, th- a theme in this podcast, but I think that's <laughs> how I discovered you. Not that sounds like I, I mean. <laughs> You existed Not before like the I, coffee. I, yeah, I didn't break. <laughs> That's how you normally find a physio, isn't it? Via <laughs> coffee. Yeah, but obviously the, the coffee that we drink on the podcast is probably the link. I think. Uh, just uh, Have you secured that sponsorship after the, no, uh, after this the is... first podcast disaster? <laughs> <laughs> that needed more the coffee faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So this could be a good way of um, of trying to get us back on track. <laughs> completely, completely unplanned. Thanks. We obviously we're we're a big fan of Dusty Ape. Drop that in. Do you want to give us a quick intro as to what you do? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's lovely to be on the on the podcast and have a little chat with you guys. Um, yeah, I've been uh, qualified as a physio for coming up on sixteen years, and I suppose that just starts off building up your broad experience as you do, and you start to. I guess, carve out some sort of niche or direction within that. I'd, I'd always been interested in sort of musculoskeletal injuries. So, so joint muscle joint injuries, that sort of thing from my own experiences. And I think, I think that's probably where a lot of physios end up entering into it. So they've, they've seen it from the sports side and they've seen the magic sponge and a rugby pitch or a football mm-hmm. pitch, but they've probably not seen a lot beyond that. And so I suppose my actual undergraduate degree was a massive eye opening experience into just how much more physio into the depth of dealing with the human body. And uh, so that was sort of, uh, you know, an amazing experience. Having said that, I still wanted to continue in musculoskeletal medicine, but just with a broader remit and understanding. And, mm. you know, I, I definitely credit one of my lecturers in particular, who just always wanted to sort of open our minds just a little bit further than, you know, hurt myself, rehab, you know, or, or some treatment, some hands-on treatment. And that was the end of the journey. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of... Um, worked my way towards uh, sports injury, sports rehab during this time, then kind of got into cycling a lot and triathlon. And, you know, then I kind of went to do my master's, I focused on research and triathlon and cycling and, and sort of it became a passion outside of physio. And then it sort of merged into becoming a passion within physio. And as you said, COVID threw us all into disarray. Um, mm. And out of the ashes or the ashes mm, i'm not sure that's an accurate way of describing it we're still in it really aren't we yeah i think so yeah. still burning big, big. <laughs> still, still on fire <laughs> yeah. yeah so 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 in the midst of the fire i decided that i should set up my own business to be able to focus on doing what i enjoy most uh, which is yeah working with cyclists and uh, bike fit became an element of that and then also being able to impart that little bit of sort of understanding and broader context into physio physio rehab and the longer term consequences of you know, injuries and pain, I suppose. Yeah, I had quite a broad question to kind of on the subject of that, really. And I guess, you know, has has the pandemic seen a, a rise in your clients, I guess, first of all, I mean, there's plenty of people losing their jobs and not doing so well. And off the back of that, there are other people who are doing quite well. But I think I want to kind of focus on maybe kind of mindset of your clients, potentially in terms of, you know, people in especially lockdown and people then being encouraged or forced to get their exercise, maybe that they didn't even get before. So walking, cycling, running, swimming if their pools were open but I just wondered if that created a lot of extra work or inquiries or and then kind of the second part to that is have you kind of found a shift in people's own kind of attitude towards self-care you know have they had the time to even concentrate on their bodies a bit more potentially and just focus things really maybe they hadn't thought about it before yeah there's a few elements to that I think um, first of all you know when we actually went into lockdown there was no access to any treatment 
or, or input really mm. uh, in, a, in a face-to-face sense. Yeah. So, you know, virtual appointments became the mainstay, but, um, you know, not least physical uh, manual therapy and hands-on treatment is, of course, not possible virtually. But also you lose an awful lot without having just the physical presence of someone else in your room to kind of really learn from body cues, mm. body positioning, postures, little sort of mm. tone of voice changes. So I think a lot of people, you know, lost out and there was a massive backlog of people wanting to get, whether it was physio input or whether it was bike fit input during lockdown that were then clamoring when when the restrictions were eased to, to get back. Yeah. So that's the first part, I guess. The second part of your question is, you know, what was people's reaction to to, to, you know, to lockdown and that change. And I suppose I would probably split it into a rule of thirds is that there was perhaps a third of people who just took it as a bit of a holiday. And, you know, perhaps it drove habits of sort of being at home, you know, perhaps kind of easing up, easing up the sort of uh, the belt on sort of dietary side of things. So, you know, eating a little bit more, uh, drinking a little bit, you know, mm. just just not really sort of sticking to a plan because days of the week suddenly merged, weeks and weekends were were all a, a blur. So I think there's those people mm. potentially that that group that kind of just thought, hey, you know, it's a holiday and <laughs> take advantage of the change. Then maybe there's a group in the middle who had missed getting their exercise and started exercise because they suddenly had the time, you know, a commute was taken away or something like that, um, and they didn't have those additional time constraints. And then there's the, the the other group of people that I think suddenly dramatically increased when new starters or they were always continuous with their exercise, but suddenly found an opportunity and and really, like you said, refined their focus on whether it was nutrition, exercise. And and with all of those, we've seen some interesting patterns of injury. So we've seen changes in overuse injuries where people have just dramatically increased training volume. Those that have started activities that they weren't doing before, picking up running, picking up cycling, let's say, mm. and developing new injuries because their bodies just hadn't previously been exposed to those loads and pressures. Um, and then perhaps others where they were taken out of a structured environment that involved going to work, walking to work, being at work and coming home. And they were just at home all the time and perhaps, you know, dramatically reducing their physical activity. Yeah. Yeah. If that, if that sort of makes sense, almost, you know, we will naturally always choose a course. And I think we've seen that sort of divide and it's sort of enhanced it a little bit. Yeah. I'd kind of didn't see it as a kind of the, the word, the fourth. I mean, obviously I knew there was a forced element to, we all had to stay in, but I guess mm. there was people who were getting their exercise regularly from going to work and, mm. you know, and that yeah. was all taken away and that suddenly stopped. And there's people who were aware of that and did something about it. And there's people who probably didn't, weren't yeah. aware of that because they almost took their commute for granted their walk to, to work for granted maybe or cycling and also i guess i guess there's almost like a, a fourth group which are the people that were forced to work mm. uh, i guess uh, mm, yeah th- there's also that bit around you know if you've got a job if you're a key worker and you're doing fifteen thousand steps a day and you continue to do that yeah then then you're keeping on the, na- the, the narrow so it might even be that work becomes something that gives you some stability and consistency yeah on a physical element yeah yeah the ten thousand steps group those that kind of found their physical activity that target of ten thousand steps i think that group potentially suffered a lot because of their daily activity involved work and yeah. suddenly those ten thousand steps were just taken away yeah uh, and they had to go and find them they had to go out and see and seek them themselves and, and for many unfortunately there wasn't perhaps the additional motivation to do it um by yeah. themselves and these you know these are habits aren't they that uh formed yeah. you we've, yeah. we've I haven't really dug down on that too much, but if you're creating a habit without really thinking about it, yeah. it's actually really hard when it's gone. Yeah. You, you feel actually, like there's literally a hole in your life, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. It's always Brian's point there that if, if it happens naturally because it's part of your daily routine of work, mm. then you don't have to think about it. But as Brian said, if you have to get up in the morning and go, I'm going to walk six miles, yeah, you get to the end of the day and realize you haven't done it. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I think it does become harder, definitely. And it's great. Everyone suddenly got out there and started doing things, but arguably doing mm. things not very well or just threw themselves into it, not the right footwear, mm. jump on a bike they haven't jumped on in in 10 years. And then, you know, you could be doing all sorts of damage to yourself, couldn't you? And people are just unaware until something happens. So Potentially. I mean, I think what you've seen is just a slightly exaggerated version. I think these, these sort of events, these sort of global events that force people's behaviours tend to, from my perspective, exaggerate those traits that are already there. Hmm. So someone that is likely to exercise a lot, it, it will just exaggerate that. So what I've seen is the same pattern of injuries, but just perhaps a more concentrated or exaggerated version of some of those things. We've seen really quite pronounced overuse injuries where you know, training volume has dramatically increased. And quite suddenly, because lockdown happened mm. on a date, you know, suddenly there was this extra time. Great, I'll train more. So a dramatic increase in training volume mm. essentially creates a mismatch between your body's capacity and the load you're placing upon it. So that that mismatch is, is, right. is going to cause problems, even in trained athletes. And then you've got new athletes uh, or, or, or new, new to exercise individuals who, you know, again, we're talking about that mismatch potentially between capacity uh, speed of adaptation of your body versus expectations of well i want to run 5k tomorrow because i want to <laughs> um yeah. and and our and our brain's ability to process what we want is far quicker than our body's ability to adapt to doing those things right you know so you know lifting lifting with your brain rather than what with what your body can do i'm sure I'm sure mark can talk a lot <laughs> about that as well in terms of from a, from a pt and training perspective yeah, I'm just thinking your brain's cashing checks your body can't afford. Is that is that from That's Top a, Gun, yeah. is it? Let's get a Top Gun quote in there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> your ego's writing checks, your body can't cash. <laughs> there you go thank you for that close <laughs> i was almost went on google we're never <laughs> ac we're never accurate are we? <laughs> no, we're not um we kind of touched on that it's kind of good to get an expert i wasn't going to be doing down your masters of science <laughs> i think i've done that plenty yeah. already but um i think we kind of touched maybe touched on the recovery thing and maybe the last couple of episodes like rest being as important and i don't know, this might come in kind of later on talking about pain yeah, specifically, I, I, I think but... we had a we had an off mic talk and again this is one of the things where we chuck something out based on <laughs> a minute bit of evidence and, and that the Brian could probably tell us loads more on. It was one of my things around, and I, I, I can resonate with, you know, what you said resonates with me in terms of there's been a change in my clients in terms of either their approach or their attitude or their, their volume. Mm. But I think one of the things I struggle with a little bit is to properly explain the difference between rehab, recovery, and rest. And I think some people think they're the same thing. And they're not, I don't think. And I, I wondered, No, I'd agree. I wondered what your <laughs> thoughts on that, because that, that has a, a big issue on pain. And I'm, I'm aware of, of people that I've got, exactly as you said, who, who've upped their volume, done a load of road running, and then going, I've pulled this, I've hurt this. And, and their approach to recovery is either, I won't do anything for a week and it will get better, or mm. I'll stretch mm. it madly for a week and it will get better. <laughs> I think there's, there's a lack of understanding, I think, about, you know, if you, if you have overloaded your body, those three R's, are, you know, they're, they're three separate entities. Yeah, I, and I definitely agree with that. And I, and I think, you know, we, we, could probably, we could probably fill a whole other podcast talking on just, just that element. Um, and actually, that one point there leads in when you talk about, you know, a, a sort of a, an injury or, or, or stretching to recover from something, mm. you know, stretch, stretch as part of a recovery thing. I mean, yeah. we could, we could definitely fill a podcast on that. And some of my colleagues would be very well placed to discuss that. But, you know, to, to my end, you know, we stretch things because they feel tight. And, and that in itself is an interesting concept to consider because, 
we can feel tightness as a sensation for lots of different reasons, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So tightness is a, a sensory interpretation of, of what's going on. Um, but tightness doesn't necessarily mean there's shortness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, in, yeah. in an area or a structure. Um, however, when we feel tightness, our automatic response is to stretch it because that seems to be our only sort of known and, and ingrained sort of philosophy is that it's tight, stretch it. And very often we see people describing tightness, let's say I've oh, got tight hamstrings. I mean, I'll probably hear that three or four times every day. Hmm. And you might find that 10% of those people that say they feel their hamstrings are tight actually have potentially some relative shortness in a hamstring compared to the other side. Whereas there's lots of other reasons why they might feel tight and the solution is not stretching. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a stretching sort of, I'm not an anti-stretching sort of advocate, but it has a place, but a very, very small place and a far yeah. smaller place. And I think the broader sort of exercise and physio world, um, certainly all the fitness magazines seem to place upon it. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. you mentioned the magic sponge in your yeah. uh, in, it feels like that yeah, just use that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, but no it was, it's up there with if something feels a little bit stiff or tight you just you you do you, you stretch it don't you you've never really questioned it, there's plenty of things on here that we talk about just it, it's just because we've always done it never questioned it yeah um never questioned the magic sponge until you mentioned it and then you've said that but it's what we do isn't it we don't really know why no. i get in that moment we feel oh, that's got to that's got to be doing something could be making it yeah. worse The other good thing about stretching is that much like with certain physio things that have become outdated, but but manual therapy potentially being one, I'm not saying manual therapy is outdated, but things that give us or garner a sensory response tend to have great value within us. So when we stretch, we feel something and that's got great kind of um, impact on us. You know, we feel a stretch. We think, great. But I always ask people if they feel, let's say, hamstring tightness, we'll just stick to that example. And they say, yeah, I do hamstring stretches. And I say, great. It feels good. Yeah, great. How do your hamstrings feel right after it? Tight. (laughs) (laughs) So I often say, now ask yourself the question, was hamstring stretching the solution to your problem? Hmm. Um, And often that just, it's just a nice jumping off point to think, okay, well, maybe there's something else going on here that I need to address. Is, Is it also true? And this is something that, again, I just bail out. So I don't know if this is a true thing, Brian, but one of the things that I often say is, is, and I only have a very basic understanding of it, is the sort of referred pain. So quite often I'm training someone and they'll say, this hurts. Um, and it's going back to the point, you hamstrings. When I, I only took sprinting up four years ago, and in the first year I think my hamstrings either went, pulled or snapped four times. And it was nothing to do with my hamstrings per se. It was their relation to quads in terms of you know the power of those two muscles and the relation it was to do with my hip flexors it was to do with lack of strength in my glutes but I think quite often there's almost a sort of simplistic view of if something hurts that's where the problem is is is, is that true that that the pain where you feel the pain isn't necessarily where the problem is absolutely but and and I, I think most of us have every right to think where we feel the pain is where the problem is because that's really logical isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> so I, I i don't blame you know you know myself or patients or any, anybody you know they say look it hurts in the front of my thigh it's got to be the front of my thigh is a problem right you mm-hmm. know massage that area please uh, or stretch that area please so i don't blame anyone for that because that's really logical um and that's why you know education and you know discussing these things and giving examples and an explanation is really really important because it helps to just uh, apply a slightly better understanding or a broader understanding of 
why the pain in your thigh might not be because the muscle in your thigh is a bit tight or a mm-hmm. bit sore, a bit stiff or torn, you know, or ruptured, you know, these sort of words, these quite threatening words yeah, that you will yeah. hear associated with an injury. And, you know, if someone tells me they think they've ruptured something, that, that, that's got a high threat value to, to how they're going to treat that area. And we are kind of now, now we're really sort of starting to skirt around some of the stuff I know we're going to discuss and we just just dive in and talk about uh, pain because uh, we're starting to talk about some of the things that we would discuss and and language is one of the really important ones. So um, yeah, we're, we're doing a little dance around pain That's at the moment. <laughs> a little shimmy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I immediately thought of the question, which is, you know, we feel that for a reason and what is pain? It's our, isn't it our body telling us something? And we, I think we are moving broadly, the broad concept of listening to your body because sometimes the things it tells you, you just kind of either ignore or you go, oh, I always feel like that. But I'm sure it, you know, and food can come in here in terms of what you, you know, we might eat some foods and I've got a handful of foods that I know I shouldn't probably eat because my body in all sorts of ways, mm. which I won't go into, mm. um, you know, tells me that you, that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be putting that in your mouth. Mm. So yeah, broadly, we're kind of talking about that, listening to your body. But then obviously, like you said, pain, if, you're, if your knee hurts, then there's a reason for that, isn't there? Yeah. I don't know this goes back to, when we're all cavemen and women but I don't, I don't know is that something we kind of dive into now is what is pain and why do we feel it is yeah i think i think it's a great it's a, it's a, yeah it's a perfect time just to like let's let's jump in on that and say okay so what is pain because you're talking you've, you've touched on some really sort of interesting elements of it so the first thing i thought i'd do is useful just to talk about what is our current definition of pain so the the iasp which is the international association for the study of pain actually recently updated their definition of pain with a very minor change but let's not get into that but i'll, I'll read out to you their, their definition of pain and, and, and see how it chimes with what your understanding mm. of what pain is so they define it as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage what do you guys think about what that what does that mean to you guys and then we'll dive in a bit more i mean i'm pleased it's got emotional in there yeah that's the word that's that's the emotion that stood out <laughs> bearing in mind <laughs> the nature of most of our podcasts the emotional bit seemed big to me i think absolutely it then seemed to maybe it's just me it seemed to peter off at the end when it just sort of mentioned tissue it's sort of i wanted a bit more than that you know I, mean? <laughs> I wanted like rupturing and you mean, you know, agony whole, there's been a room of 20 people coming up with that so you're slightly disappointed yeah, is that what yeah. <laughs> didn't have enough words so, in it no. yeah so I think, yeah, some people might look at that and think, oh, have they hedged their bets there? And mm. I think we have to, there has to be some hedging because we don't have a full and thorough and complete understanding of pain, nor perhaps will we ever. But there are some really important messages here. And I just, for me, I'll pick out the bits that mean a lot to me. Um, number one is it's unpleasant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because lots of people talk about, you know, we won't get into this, but pain as an enjoyable experience in lots of different circumstances should we say (laughs) (laughs) late night and so 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 unpleasant that's key you know uh, in terms of what we're talking about sensory and emotional just opens up the doorway for considering the other potential inputs and aspects that feed into this and the word experience um is really important too because it's not just a, a torn x um, it's an experience, okay? We, 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 it's something that we, we build up and develop. And if it's an experience, it has to be something that the brain is perceiving and therefore developing to generate that output. And that output is based on a lot of different inputs. And this is why the final sentence of associated with actual or potential tissue damage, okay? So tissue damage may or may not produce pain as a response, okay? Because pain is an output. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tissue damage 
may produce a pain output if the body decides that pain, which is a protective experience or a protective output, is required. I'll give you an example. If you're, let's say, crossing the road and you stub your toe and there's a car coming, the appropriate response is not to kind of crouch and go, oh, my toe, that really hurts. Mm. Your appropriate response is get off the road, right? Because the most important thing is to not get run over by the car. Now, when you get across the road and thankfully, you know, you got away from the car, you then your your toe is throbbing because you did really whack it. So the body there has hierarchically decided that there was something more important to do than to create a pain output experience in that circumstance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pain and tissue damage are not a sort of a linear related to two items, as it were. Yeah. Tissue damage may cause pain. It may not cause pain. Hmm. The, 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 the aspect that's really important there is the context, okay? Pain comes out of the, the brain. And this is when people say, am I mad? Is the pain all in my head? And I say, well, actually, because pain is a, a sensory experience that is formed in the brain, it has to be in the brain, okay? Mm-hmm. The tissue input element is really just an input that the brain can decide what to do with because it's pain is all about protecting uh, and creating a sort of uh, safety for the body. If the tissue injury uh, is not deemed to be threatening uh, for safety at that moment, then pain as, a, as an end output will not actually occur. Um, and there are other times when we have no tissue damage at all, but there is a decision to in the brain from various inputs, whether it's context or whether it's environmental and other factors, that pain will actually end up being an output to help to protect us. And the reason, the, the, the kind of confusing bit there is, it's a best guess. The brain gets all this information and it goes, right, let's have a look at this. Do we need to generate pain as an output to protect and, and keep the body safe? And if it decides no, then it won't produce pain. It's not always correct, okay? The, the brain doesn't always get it right, right, just like with lots of other circumstances. The body is there to look after, well, the brain is there to, to protect to survive. the rest of it. Yeah, the, the survival, the survival yeah. yeah. So yeah, it is absolutely, and that's that's the really important thing to get from this. It is a primitive, primordial, uh, protective mechanism to ensure uh, to ensure life. Um, yeah, it, it, it's there to stop you. Like you said, <laughs> we can we can roll we can roll that example back of being run over by the car to breaking your leg while escaping from a dinosaur. Yeah. you just have to get away, and then your leg can be sore later on because otherwise yeah. you are going to be extinct. Yeah, and now the interesting thing is that we we, we now live in a world where we're increasingly safe. Hmm. Yeah, and that creates a really strange sort of dichotomy because we now start deciding what things we want our body to do. So we're asking our body, let's say, to go to the gym and lift weights, and mm-hmm. you're telling your body to do that. That that's actually now you've decided that's the important task to achieve, mm-hmm. and it's not a life or death situation. But you're asking your body to do it. Your body will try to do that because now that's sort of uh, an important task for it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very it's a very changed sort of set of circumstances. Yeah, this is hundreds of thousands of years of of fine tuning mm-hmm. to to the highest order isn't it we kind of ignore it or don't listen i guess it's kind of i'm trying to magically weave my next question into it which is would you say do we do we not listen enough or do we not understand our own bodies enough or do we spend too much time reading about everyone else's i think i struggle with either drugs or remedies or approaches that almost nullify the existence of pain or inflammation or whatever and my sort of view is the body is producing whatever it's producing or the brain is producing whatever it's producing for a reason. I'm going back to the self-preservation. It isn't just doing it for fun. Mm. And I think a lot of people in some circumstances look to escape 
rather than face that pain. So it's like if I can nullify to a point I can't feel it, then it's gone. But the pain is there for a reason, either to protect ourselves or to make sure we move in a certain way or don't move at all. I didn't know whether, because I, I know, and I, again, <laughs> amateur psychologist or amateur physio, I might be wrong on this, but I, I was reading that the guy who was very keen on icing an injury or a strain is sort of now changing and saying that the inflammation that he was then trying to put ice on is now a different approach. Am I right on that? I don't know. I haven't got the guy's name. Yeah, there's been some element of change there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, just just uh, very, very quickly on that, the idea behind not sort of throwing ice or, you know, um, taking a load of anti-inflammatories immediately after a soft tissue injury, for example, is that the acute inflammatory response is actually the sort of kickstarter for the tissue healing scaffold yeah. and that sort of tissue healing response to occur and a good tissue healing response to occur. So that suggestion there was that, you know, you are not to try to focus on anti-inflammatory means in the first 36 to 48 hours following a soft tissue injury, um, specifically to try and allow that acute inflammatory response to set up the the, the early and mid-stage tissue healing that mm-hmm. then occurs. Right. Um, but to talk about painkillers, I mean, painkillers is, is again another can of worms because we've got you know, the, the issues with potential opioids and addiction and the negative connotations and associations with that side, mm-hmm. you know, all medications have side effects. Um, even things like, you know, paracetamol, ibuprofen, they are not benign medications. So you certainly shouldn't take them for no reason. But when it comes to, again, context and understanding, that's where you can make use of it. So if, for example, we have a situation where we have an injury and we have a pain associated with it, but we're aware that actually the level of that sort of pain that we're experiencing is inhibiting our ability to re sort of re-engage with movement and activity then to try to modify that to allow us to move well can be helpful Mm -hmm. uh, would be my opinion whereas masking pain which is the more sort of worrying side point where just i'm just going to take a load of anti-inflammatories to hide it and get on with my next triathlon or my next uh, cycling event is certainly the negative flip side to that coin if that makes sense yeah yeah it's another kind of thing that we kind of just do without thinking mm-hmm. you know yeah and and there might be a simple example of having having a headache from a hangover you take a paracetamol headache goes away and by the time the effect of the paracetamol wears off your headache's gone because it was going to be gone in six hours anyway and you just didn't <laughs> want to deal with it for those six hours but yeah. if we take that same logic and apply it to other pain sources or pain problems we, we might lead ourselves down a very negative pathway and i think that's what you were getting at mark perhaps just saying you know, just keep taking paracetamol for the elbow pain and, you know, that should that should kind of keep it at bay. But actually, we're not addressing what, what's potentially part of what's generating that. Yeah, I think there's that there might be a misunderstanding sometimes that, that the, the medication is the cure rather than yes. a mask or a relief from the injury. It's like my elbow is now better. It isn't better. It's just yeah. that the pain is reduced. And I think people yeah. maybe confuse the two. Sometimes, and, and similarly, they do the same with, uh, and not to, not to bash on orthopedic surgeons at all, but we 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 all love the idea that a surgeon could tell us, oh, we'll just trim that, repair that, fix that, put it back, and and it's going to cure the problems. Uh, and orthopedic surgery is not the be all and end all solution to sort of musculoskeletal problems. Mm-hmm. Just like we've already discussed all of the other elements that can contribute to pain. So if I just give you an example, things that can sensitize our pain response, okay, would be stress, anxiety, sleep deprivation, uh, previous trauma, fear of movement, social cultural beliefs, low mood, nutritional factors. Now, you tell me which one of those orthopedic surgery can cure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's quite it's quite clear to see that if we haven't addressed those factors, and if we find that those factors are massively impacting on the person's pain, but they've been told, oh yeah, we can do a, we can do a knee operation and, and trim the cartilage, but actually seven of these factors are contributing more to their presentation. Mm-hmm. They're going to end up with really big problems, and then they've had a surgery that they didn't need, and that probably hasn't helped. Yeah. So um, I, I think looking at the factors that feed into someone's pain presentation, rather than just the tissue injury, and treating tre- treating that sort of uh, injury as an individual rather than an injury it's not a quad tear it's actually a human being that may have a quad tear and has pain with it yeah we've talked about strength training and the benefit of strength training yeah. and we can always deep dive further into that feels like there's a, a preemptive nature to this okay generally looking after yourself well yeah the, the things that brian the, just listed was what we listed on mental health awareness day wasn't it it's, yeah my, my question was going to be about self-managing we talked about the medication we kind of self-medicate don't mm. we some that hurts i'm going to take something that goes away mm. that doesn't deal mm-hmm. with the problem and then my my kind of thought touching on what you were saying there was about how we how we self-manage that you know how, how much do we listen do we just do that oh i'll ignore it go away do we then treat it or go away do i just keep training through it which is something i've got with my arm at the moment when, I, when I stop it's who we listen to though i think mm. I mean, there's so much. There's a balance, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you're listening to you. That's what I mean. There's an element of we're all reading about everybody else's pain and experience, but we don't actually listen to what maybe what our body is saying. No, and I'm sure Brian's got the, the, the same examples as I have when a client comes in. If I'm doing something on fat loss, and they'll be told, you know, I can't, I can't eat a carb after seven o'clock at night because you know I'm going to balloon. And it's when you break down your know, actual science, and I know even on on science there's always seemed to be two three or four different views but i think there are a lot i'm 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 imagining i'm guessing you can tell me but i'm guessing clients will come to you and say you know my friend told me or i read this on instagram and i think the sort of urban myth and urban legends just grow sort of exponentially people will come to me and i'll go just break down what you've said you know as a very educated person just go through what you've just told me um and I think I think there is so much information out there. People are probably swamped in it. Mm. Yeah, we definitely suffer from information overload. And I think actually, Demo and, and, and you, Mark, have, have touched on a really key point. There's there's so much information, and what you'll find is that ninety nine point nine percent of that information does not apply to you, the individual. Yeah. And what we talked about uh, when we discussed pain there is that it's a it's always a personal experience, okay? It's personal and individual. So when I'm assessing an injury for someone, um, I don't book in seven people with knee pain at the same time and just <laughs> tell them to do the same Good thing. business model. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah right, yeah. Hang, hang on a second. Let me just write this down. Back of the beer, man. Um, yeah, what you want to do is assess every individual and give them individual solutions because we go back to that list of seven, seven things that we just put down there as sort of pain sensitizers. For person A with knee pain, they might have none, no stress, no anxiety, no sleep depression, but they do have, you know, previous trauma. And the next person that comes in, they've got the same sort of pain at the front of their knee, but they've got a lot of stress, a lot of stress and anxiety and, and family related issues that are feeding into that. And then the next person might have none of those and they've literally just fallen over and banged the front of their knee. Those individuals all need to be managed according to their own presentations. And so when people go on social media and they see an exercise and they or they see a management or a taping or a strapping or a modality or whatever it is or a nutritional strategy or no carbs after mm. seven like you said you know that may have been right for that one person at that one time mm. and so we have to get back to this element of understanding the individual and like you said Damo, just 
ask yourself, like, how do I feel? Is is this going to work for me? And so when you said, can we self-manage? We probably can to an extent, but we should probably seek guidance because if we have a tissue injury, like I've torn my bicep, let's say slightly, or pulled my bicep, ask yourself, did it happen in a fashion that you would you would consider to be reasonable? So if I was lifting a really heavy dumbbell and I was trying to go for my my, my PB on a bicep curl, let's say like three kilos, um, I'm a cyclist after <laughs> all. Dave, um, you can relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah, exactly we fostered a good bond over <laughs> light light upper body weight. <laughs> if I suddenly went to lift a heavier dumbbell than I'd done before, and I felt a pull in my bicep, it seems reasonable that I may well have strained some of the tissue in my bicep area, and therefore I would expect that if I allow it some time to settle and I gradually start to lift some lighter weights again, it should settle in a time frame that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. However, if I start having pain that's moving around and suddenly it's down in my forearm and it's down in my hand after this injury. Well, it seems you'd have to ask yourself, is that my bicep? Because it seems unlikely it to be my bicep if I'm also having pain in my forearm and my hand. And so we have to ask ourselves those questions if we're self-managing. It, does that make sense? And if you're not sure if it makes sense or not, then you should seek help. And, you know, whether that's a physiotherapist, a personal trainer, uh, chiropractor, GP, it can't always guarantee that you're going to get the right advice because... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the reality is that physios and personal trainers are of varying standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and GPs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. All of us and all of us in, in every profession yeah. are of varying standards, and <laughs> uh, that's just a fact of life, isn't it? But um, yeah, I think looking at the kind of if there's a logical arrival of pain, you know, if if someone comes into clinic and I don't know how they started, I just woke up and my right shoulder is really sore. The likelihood of them, and if they've done nothing in the days prior, the likelihood of them having torn something is negligible Mm. because they haven't done anything that would have likely sustained a tissue injury. And so we have to start thinking immediately of those other list of things that might be part of increasing the brain's likelihood to create pain as an output. It's funny you should say that, but I've I've been waking up recently with a pain in my right shoulder. That was spooky. I actually thought, I haven't actually told you about this, Brian. <laughs> this is amazing. This You're is the, really good. <laughs> this is the reason for the call. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's somehow segueing a, a physio session yeah. into his podcast. Brilliant. <laughs> should, we, should we talk about treatment then? <laughs> no, it leads on to my question because I have got, you know, there's there's some lifts and stuff that we do yeah. when we're working out. I can feel it, it pulling and I just, obviously the natural thing with pain is your body's going, no, don't don't do that that hurts so stop that but i found that i've just gently kind of worked through it mm-hmm. not not ignored it but known it's there and been very sensitive to it but just kept doing what i thought was right and the things i guess over time have, have worked out that actually that's making it a bit easier because when i stopped training for two weeks all that arm pain came back this is a long-winded way of going is it good just to work through some things and and push through at your own Yes, don't 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 fear all pain. Pain is an information and, a, and and an output that we should listen to, but we have to try to then understand mm. it, and engage with it. And I think, like you said, what, what you've just described there is an example of what we would call within physio as sort of graded exposure. Uh, you've found a level of weight in a particular exercise that was tolerable. Yeah. Maybe you know, if we to use a pain scale zero to ten, you'd say, okay, all right, it's two out of ten. I can tolerate that, and it's not getting worse as I do yeah. more. And actually week on week i've managed to lift a bit more and the pain's actually the same if not less what you've done there is you've done a graded exposure and increased the tissues tolerance to that load and perhaps it's now tolerating it better if we think that the tissue is one of the structures that's part of sending those messages up that's leaving you to then say oh that hurts when i do that movement so Mm. um when you talk about rehab and what we do that's one of the elements that we would consider um as i said it's all it's all it's all looking in that mixing bowl Mm. 
of factors and you as a physio or as a personal trainer or whatever your profession is and trying to figure out which are the ones which are the which are the key contributors in this circumstance to deal with it takes time as well doesn't it that's the other thing you've just got to give it a bit of time work a little bit work a little mm-hmm. bit and then after i've just noticed that working through it has actually helped me yeah i, guess I mean i think what you've just summed up now the last minute has summed up for me is that Damien has said from his personal feelings or perspective, this has worked a bit and it's a bit easier, blah, blah, blah. Brian's then given a scientific reasoning. And if you were, you know, I know you're trying to get a free consultation, but if you were there <laughs> now, <laughs> if you were free there now, Brian would be able to give you a science, you know, by, by touching mm. and feeling, be able to give you a scientific or mm. you know, medical explanation. And I think this is where PTs come in, that quite often our approach is somewhere between the two, that we lack the science, but we have the anecdotal bit of being able to physically watch you for an hour mm. lifting weights and go that just doesn't look right yeah so i think it's that sort mm. of realistic setting of yeah. being in a gym for an hour and me looking at someone and going there's something not quite right with mm. what you're doing we're going to stop that yeah and i think that's the one thing i think i've probably learned through being a pt you'll do an exercise that you've planned on the program and after a couple of reps you'll just go no we're just going to stop it Whereas I think less experienced PTs go, this is what I've written. We're going to carry it through. And so, yeah, no pain, no gain. And those sort of elements suddenly become the mantra of pushing on. And that should be banned, um, shouldn't it? That saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, and it's just, it's, 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 I always joke and the, the, uh, it doesn't work as well verbally as it does written. But instead of saying no, N O, pain, no gain, it should be K N O W. So no pain, yeah. no gain, mm. right? understand it a little bit better as we're saying engage with it understand it and the type and the way it changes in your response to what you do with your exercises can allow you to then work with pain potentially to allow you to improve and get rid of it that's probably a nice little message to think about there that's the title of the podcast sorted (laughs) thank you done (laughs) this is just a freebie for us isn't it (laughs) if i could drop this mic i would Um, (laughs) i can't afford to replace mine so i'm not dropping it (laughs) So, but, so just going back to that heading for the, the podcast, is it K-N-O-W for both? It'd have to be the... Yeah, for both. For yeah. both, wouldn't it? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Sometimes when I go to a physio, I'll go for a sports massage and they'll go, mm-hmm. you know, what's up? And I'll go, nothing. Both mm-hmm. times the people have gone, well done for coming when there's nothing wrong. It, it is quite interesting. The people, person that gives me a sports massage will quite often say, it's good to see your body when there isn't anything to fix per se. And I'm wondering whether that's something that you would, would advocate, almost seeing a physio just for someone to, to look at your body and mm. feel it and touch it and give you some feedback. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, actually. I had a conversation with someone the other day about this idea of, oh, you know, give your body an MOT. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's, you can look at that two ways. I think, first of all, first and foremost, cannot compare our bodies to cars. Mm-hmm. Um, we are living organisms cars or machines um structures and cars don't regenerate yeah. <laughs> they, they they just wear out and that's the clearest example i can give you of how we shouldn't compare our bodies to cars and um, there's elements of that mot that are really important though is that we do need to regularly check up and see how we're getting on especially if we are training um for for, for events and things like that, and putting our body under greater strain you know the first thing i always say to people when i'm having a consultation with them because like you said mark most people do come in when they've got pain or an injury is I say, now we're going to look at this movement and I want you to tell me, fill in the gaps for me. I said, because I'm going to see how you move with your knee being sore, but is that how you normally squat? So because everyone moves individually, you've got to give yourself the information that you don't have, which is having seen someone 
when they were fit and healthy or didn't have whatever injury they've come to see you with. And, and that's a, it's a really difficult thing. And in, in the longer term, I've had patients who I've seen when they're injured yeah. and then seen when they're not injured, uh, whether it's to update a program or a strength program or, um, yeah, like maybe they've come in and just said, oh, I just actually want to work a bit, um, some soft tissue work, et cetera. And, and I'm fine with that because as long as that's working for that individual and they've got a good understanding of what they're doing and what they're not doing in terms of or what the treatment is doing or not doing, then that's absolutely fine um, from my perspective anyway. Does it help you, though, that, that if you see them uninjured, that when they are injured, you're able to have a sort of benchmark to compare against? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If, if I've got an athlete that I've been working with and I know, for example, that their hamstring flexibility is this or they move in one particular way and then they come in... I've jammed up my back and I sort of watch the move. I immediately go, right, I know what we're, I know what we should be aiming back for. And I know how much you're struggling with this straight away. So yes, yes, it does. Is it possible? And is it feasible in all cases? No, hmm. I can't really randomly ask people off the street to come in and say, can we look at how you move normally just in case you get injured in the next few weeks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you haven't said about your business or what well, it is. Can, I don't we, know. If we can do that. We can do that. Okay. But if there's but, anything you are you selling anything? <laughs> do you want, have you got a book, DVD? I mean, you feel free to plug now. No, I just we haven't <laughs> no, even mentioned good, uh, the name of the. No, but I will do because we're going to drop this in. Yeah. So. Well, I guess the, the only thing I'm here to sell is, is is just is and it's not to sell, but it's to share really information. And if there's one thing I've learned, um, even even if we were forced into situations by the pandemic is that we had to see people virtually we had to mm. um because it was the only way for us to have contact with patients and what i realized uh, against my own sort of intuition and will was that i could help a lot of people a lot just virtually and so you know i still do virtual consultations even though i do face-to-face -face treatments now we've got all the ppe stuff um virtual appointments are great i don't have to wear a mask i don't have to wear goggles i don't have to wear gloves <laughs> yeah. etc but but i realized just how much i could help people you know with the, the side of education advice information guidance reassurance exercises rehab you can still do all of those things i can't get hands-on to do you know uh, some treatment stuff from that perspective but you realize that that's a small part of a small number of cases of what you do mm -hmm. um so that was really interesting to me and it just it meant that you know i've had i've had old um, clients or patients that i'd seen in london before having a virtual consult with me so i was still able to see patients back in london um, because it was all virtual suddenly the distance didn't matter and i could still help people so that was cool mm. really enjoyed that well it's been mega thanks for your time it's been awesome there's been loads of yeah, stuff fun. and we're yeah. gonna go away and just go oh there's so much <laughs> to talk there's, about there's a part two I think. <laughs> yeah at least so um thanks thanks for your time yeah. nice to see you nice and to talk to you, to you. yeah nice to, nice to meet you mark okay. and uh yeah i look forward to hearing kind of updates and I know there's obviously a lot of uh, all, all of the technical wizardry oh, yeah, to get it all, all right starts now. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be, we'll be in touch. All right. All right, guys. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of your Thank day. You. Uh, and Dame, I'm sure we'll be in touch yeah, soon. We'll Take care okay. of yourself. Cheers, Brian. Take care, guys. Yeah. Bye. That was good, wasn't it? It was. It was. But there's so much. Everything we started on, yeah. it's like, well, there's, no, there's a deep dive on I that. Know. So. loads of branches which is really good and um yeah i had a chat with him afterwards and he's pretty excited about you know where he could go so we'll definitely uh, have another chat at yeah. some point yeah because lots of things to talk about there enjoy it you can find out more about brian at thebikethebody.com and you can find him on instagram at thebikethebody do you think we need more music I think I was, we might do. I, I think we need to kind of step you. it up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to text you in the week and say, when you send the edit through and I listen and I hear that theme tune, I've always liked it. And I like the fact it was written by us, by the the Funky Monkeys. But it, it, funky I think... Monkey. Oh, poor, <laughs> poor monkey fighters. No, I, I really, really like it. And it has that sort of 
little bit of coming home. John, I mean, I'm really, yeah, I like listening when you've sent an edit through. Oh, yeah. Sit down, can pay some attention to this. Well, and that music, it's a good theme music. Mm. So, yeah. I just think whether we just need to, do we need to throw heist out the window? Or do you like your little plinky I, plonky? Do, you want no. to, we, do we need to grow up a little bit? Yeah, let's get big. <laughs> Have you heard Sam Harris's old? Sam Harris, you've not, who's Sam Harris? You've never mentioned Sam Harris before. <laughs> oh my God, you're in love with Sam Harris. Anything you want to say on the radio? I can't even <laughs> find this quote, can I? No. No. You talk about him a lot. I mean, why mm. are you wearing that I Love Sam Harris t-shirt? <laughs> he sent it to me. Just... <laughs> He's got I Love I'm Fine t-shirt. <laughs> we decided to do a trade-off. <laughs> I've got something here. Okay. Because um, oh. I've given you a bit of a day off today. Yeah. Because you need it. Um, how are you feeling okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Good. Heart rate. <laughs> 93. Um, and I saw this before before your your heart spiked. Yeah. So it's not, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things I saw in um, in Men's Health. I do like getting subscription magazine subscriptions. Yeah. I've got like three three magazines in envelopes that I haven't opened. Mm. And I'm really excited. Mm. That's like, you're quite old school, aren't you? Quite analog. Did, yeah, I am. Yeah. I, don't, I, hadn't, I, would, hadn't, I haven't done it for a while and I've kind of got back into it. But there definitely was a dopamine hit with the, the mm. anticipation of yeah. it. So we talked about steps. Mm-hmm. Our small steps campaign, sorry, crusade, is still is still going. And we talked, I can't remember which has, yeah, there's so many episodes, oh, it flies by, about um, walking steps and monitoring yeah. steps. Yeah. With that. It was basically what you were saying a minute ago. But it was basically that 10, 10 was, the person that said 10 plucked the number out the air. Cool. Yeah. And he was near enough right. Mm. And there have been studies. And a few of the studies have come and said, well, actually, if you do 7,500, that's just as good. Yep. Anything after that. I think we're sort of, let's just say, walking five miles a day is good. Let's not. Yeah, sure. This little article was called Boosting Your Heart Health is a, is a Walk in the Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the idea of walking 10,000 steps a day gets a lot of stick. Is it essential for good health or is it just an arbitrary goal? The truth is that it depends. If you're working out three or four times per week, the extra steps are a bonus, but far from game changing. The problem is that many struggle to hit even moderate levels of consistent physical activity. If that's you, giving yourself a manageable step target can be a lifesaver. Researchers in the US followed the exercise habits of a group of over 40s for a decade and found that cardiovascular disease was the leading cause of death among the participants. For those walking an average number of steps per day, about 4,000, both in the US and the UK, heart problems posed a significant risk. But those who had a daily step count of 8,000, walking roughly 6K, reduced their chances of death from a cardiovascular disease by 51%, which I thought was quite a big number. It is a big number, and I'm not going to put a spoke in your wheel of optimism. The whole thing at the moment that I'm reading a lot of research around this sort of cause and correlation Mm. is there could be an argument that the people that did more walking might have had a more healthier lifestyle and might have eaten different things and might have got out. So I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's a factor, but yeah, that's good with all these things. There's always, you know, other parts. No, I think that's good. I think, you know, these um, are exactly what we were saying, but they're kind of in and around what we've been talking about. So, uh, and this caught my eye, a mile is the new marathon. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that off air and you kind yeah. of went, yeah. So the cardio elite are scaling down their distance for faster stamina wins. Mm-hmm. Over the past few years, iron people, iron people, aren't they? The iron men. From the iron age. Hawaii, I think. Ah, right. Iron people and cardiovores. This is all language I haven't read before. Mm-hmm. Have you heard such a thing? Just a made-up name, but yeah. Okay. I've been trying to one-up each other by performing epic feats, 
competing on the number of miles they can run or ultras they've completed. Yet one of the most effective ways to train is the simplest, mastering the mile and it's having a revival. The one mile run combines speed and endurance and it's a good indicator of your overall cardiovascular health, says Danny Mackay. As it doesn't take you long to recover, you can run it again to see how much you've improved. You can't say that about a marathon. Even better, you'll notice yourself getting faster in just three weeks, while a typical runner can accomplish a mile in 10 minutes, completing one in six and a half minutes is where the bragging rights really lie, as the world record is three minutes and 43 seconds. Um, And they've got three ways to train for it. And these kind of reminded me of you in terms of what you do. So there's 200 meter repeats, uh, uphill endurance, which... Mm -hmm. I've done a bit, only mm-hmm. one, maybe one session yeah. with you on that. We, we did talk about them the other day. And a tempo run. Yeah. So I think, I mean, you know, that's right up your strata, isn't it? I think all I wanted to add was I don't want to knock distance runners. I mean, I've done it. I've done up to half marathons and probably at the time enjoyed it. I just feel that sometimes it becomes, you use the word there, bragging rights. So you can't edit that out. <laughs> use the word <laughs> bragging rights. And I think it sometimes becomes a point of, I've done 53 miles in training this week and there is that element of nobody cares. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing it and you enjoy it, that's great. Yep. And I think a lot of ultra runners do it. I don't mean prove a point, that sounds a bit patronising, but almost, you know, they see the challenge mm. and then they meet that challenge. Yeah. Exactly as you said, from day to day, I was training someone a couple of years ago and I was training her in weights and she came to me one morning and said, I'm running in a marathon in three months and I'm, fed up with the training because i'm training for like whatever it was 12 hours a week Mm. i'm not seeing my kids i'm not seeing (laughs) you know my partner yeah and i'm going to run a marathon and i but i don't want to let people down and i went no one at all cares (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it had been such a big imposition but it was almost this i've got to do the miles i've got to do the training and um talking to you about that guy the other day chad wright Mm. um who does ultra running Mm. And he went with um, a guy that had never run more than 10K and he ran 100 miles. Wow. He'd never run more than 10K and he did um, a last man standing. So you do four mile laps, have a break. And he wow. did with this guy, Chad Wright, he did 25 of those who so ran 100 Good miles. Grief. Um, I guess the point is without, you don't have to do that distance to be able to run that distance. What, I think, I'm, I miss yeah, what, what this guy Chad Wright was saying is that quite often the training, especially when you read a lot of magazines, it's like you have to be out six days a week. You have to be. Uh, that, yeah, you okay. It's point that. is you don't. No. Is that element your body will keep? Well, your body will. It helps. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're always chasing time, then you probably need to put the training in. Um, you've been to the range. Yeah. We haven't done this. You're, oh. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm fine to do good. it. Yeah, no, you're excited bit, about it or not? I was just a wee bit disappointed. Oh, with what you found? We haven't done this yeah. from maybe episode one, two, or three, something like that. We were um, for anyone who's new to this. Um, mm. Mark, yeah. like Mark likes walking around a bargain store. It's it's a bit like the old Woolworths, isn't it? Yeah, kind of like a household goods store. Yeah, um, called the Range. Did you see that Woolworths is coming back onto the high street? Is it? And it was a Twitter great store timing for that, isn't it? Yeah, it isn't. Somebody with, with 900 followers and spelling mistakes did a press release and said Woolworths is coming back in and the whole it. of Twitter went, honestly, get a grip, said, <laughs> get a grip. But yeah, so I went to the range. Do you, do you want me to just rattle through a few? So I haven't really. Yeah, well, not, don't use them all up. You know, this could be months worth of material. This is a duck. I think it's a duck. Could be goose. Um, <laughs> it's clearly not relevant. And, and it's got a, what looks like a giant medal around its neck and it says, I kiss better than I cook. And I'm thinking, where would you put that? 
You're not going to put it in the kitchen, are you? Would you have it in the bed? Would you have it at all? Yeah, and who would you give it to? If you if you open that as a present, yeah. Okay, so that's no, that's a really good one. Yeah, just didn't it didn't get. I like the ones that just don't. don't, It doesn't actually mean anything, does it? No, it doesn't doesn't make any. (laughs) And if friends were flowers, I'd pick you. I think it would work. Is if you were a person, I'd pick you as a friend. So if you gave that to someone, they unwrapped it and going, oh. If, if friends were flowers, you'd pick me, but but mm. we're friends because you've just given me a present. Yeah, right. I don't. I might overthink these. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you, the, you think? Yeah. You don't. This is the one I sent to you. You don't have to see the whole staircase, comma, just to take the first step. It doesn't make sense. It okay. isn't grammatically is that, correct. Did someone say that? Martin Luther King Jr. Have you had that fact checked and I've verified by US Today? And I have. Who was the other one? The African one? AFP? Um, AFP. Yeah, we haven't even touched on that one no, yet. No, no. Um, so, a couple of things on this. As I told you, Martin Luther King wasn't christened Martin Luther King. Mm. Christened Michael, the same as his father. So, was, he was Michael Luther King? Yeah. But this quote isn't the right quote. Oh. You've only got 13 words to put in the range. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and you've got it wrong. Okay. Very, very quickly. They said, you don't have to see the whole staircase just to take the first step. It doesn't quite read properly. Yeah. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step, which does make sense. That's his one, the one that That's does his make one. sense. Okay, yeah, right. so they've so copied they a quote incorrectly. It. <laughs> it's like <laughs> one job. Yeah. Um, mm. There's a couple of others. I'll give you one. This this was very passive-aggressive. This didn't make me smile. And it was in three different fonts, which absolutely mm, does my yeah, nutter. Yeah, no, yeah. Wash your hands, you filthy animal. <laughs> like, whoa, seriously? Maybe if we'd had those up, you know, the last uh, twelve months ago, we COVID might not be. Would, we yes. might not be in this mess. Yeah, but I think we need to take a stand on hygiene. Yeah, don't we? A no nonsense approach. Yeah, and I Wash think that's hand. it. Why but, don't the government just use that? Boris Johnson. There he is. Stay safe. Yeah. Space. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Really? What? And then the last one, two fonts, take, <laughs> taken from a song with a picture of a whisk. Yeah. Whip it, whip it good. I think it's whip whisk it. Whisk it. No, whip it. Why don't you just have a whip? Oh, because it's meant to be It's kitchen, kitchen. based. Yes, it's <laughs> not sadomasochism. So it's got a whisk, whip it. But surely it's whip it, whip it real good. Isn't that the, the song lyric? I thought it was whip I it real know. good. Oh. Well, anyway. no one's going to write in. No one's no. care. No one's listening. <laughs> Just us two in a room. <laughs> anyway, so that's the end of the range. Okay, brilliant. I like that. We haven't done that for a while. It's good. Yeah. That's it for this episode. It wasn't very relaxed, was it? That's it for this episode. <laughs> well done for getting this far. And thanks for listening. All links and references will be in our show notes. Please make sure you subscribe to us via your favorite podcasting app. And if you're enjoying this pod, then please do spread the word. Tell a friend, family member, nemesis, or whoever you feel would benefit from having us in their ears. Give us a follow on Instagram at I'm Finecast and send your feedback and questions to our email, which is I'm Finecast at gmail.com. In the next episode, uh, I've stumbled on something called Cottagecore I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it pretty much looks like we're going to be in lockdown. Looks that way. So um, I think you've got some tips for yeah, training. Home workouts. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, so we'll see you in the next episode. As Devo said, I say whip it, whip it good. I say whip it, whip it good. Crack that whip, give the pastor slip, step on a crack, break your mama's back. Good night. <laughs>